are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. We've ran out of our words and words that begin with our. We're going to look at several as we look through the chapters, verses, chapters one through six, a C word for every chapter. And I don't know if the other men are going to use a C word or mention it. And tonight I'm just going to mention it. Uh, The message will be on this, but I'm not going to spend a lot of time with it. But maybe just something to help you tonight with chapter one to help you kind of remember and have a thought and a theme behind it. And that word would be corruption. Corruption. Look with me in verse number six of chapter number one. Actually, let's start in verse number one. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Notice with me in verse number six, the Bible says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us tonight. Lord, I pray that you might bless in the preaching of your word, in the reading of your word. Lord, I pray that you might use this message in our lives. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit might speak to us, and we would be yielded to him and to his word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just quickly tonight, Paul, as we look at the beginning verses here, he's addressing this epistle to a group of churches in the region of Galatia that have essentially gone back from the gospel that they were first given by the Apostle Paul. And we'll note tonight, the gospel is the good news, but it is specifically the good news of the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And very specifically, that it is the fact that we are saved by Him and by Him alone. The Bible tells us there is none of the name given among men whereby we must be saved. And so they've they've essentially gone back from that understanding and from that belief, allowing false teachers to come in. And we're going to be reminded of that throughout the book of Galatians, but there is no other gospel. In fact, Paul says here, if someone comes preaching another gospel other than what is found in this book and other than what he has given them, even if it be angels or even if it be other preachers, he says they are to be rejected, they are to be, they are to be identified and rejected as apostate. But these churches in this region of Galatia, since Paul has left them, They've obviously, since he started these churches here, they've obviously been influenced by false teachers. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's obviously now enough of these people that have been influenced by false teachers. It requires Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to write to them and try to correct the heresy that is found in these churches in this region of Galatia. And essentially what they've done, they're leaving the truth that salvation is by grace alone, and they're going back to the false belief that justification comes by works of the law. And very specifically in chapters to follow, we'll see that they were were circled in, they were honed in on the outward sign of circumcision. 
But this tonight is the crux of every false teaching that we see today. And it's this. The dismissing of the power of God's grace and instead trying to do the works of the law in order to be pleasing and acceptable in God's sight. What does the Bible tell us in Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16? The Bible says, for I am not ashamed, listen to it, of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God unto salvation. It's enough. It's all that's required in our salvation. But false doctrine always goes back to the belief in the idea and the misunderstanding that I have to do something in order to be acceptable in God's sight. There are people all over this world and all over this city, we know it and we believe it and we we deal with it every week, that are blinded by the teaching that they have to do something to earn salvation and even earn favor with God. And they would oftentimes accuse us, Bible believers, they would accuse us and they would look at salvation by grace as a license to sin when in fact when someone is truly saved, grace calls us to a higher standard, not licentiousness. When you look at Galatians, just by way of introduction here, it's sad when you think about the location of these churches in Galatia. Most believe that these were churches located in Derby, Lystra, Iconium, Antioch of Pisidia. If you're a student of the book of Acts, you'll recognize the names of those churches as places where the Apostle Paul was led there by the Holy Spirit of God and started great churches that would go out and they would do great things for God. But there's come a time in their history that although they had the witness of the Apostle Paul, they had belief on the, on the, the resurrection, the death, the burial of Jesus Christ, they had believed in salvation, but now through allowing false teachers in their midst, they've now drawn back, they've gone back from the truth. What a warning it is when you think of the founding of those churches. What a warning that is for any one of us, that no matter how closely that you hold the truth today, None of us are invincible when it comes to believing false doctrine. None of us ever ought to get to the point where we believe that maybe a, a, a series in the book of Galatians or a series and look at what's crept in to our church and look, what, look, look where other churches have gone in the past. Not a one of us should say we're, we're, we're beyond that. We're, we're far more mature. Hey, if a church started by the Apostle Paul can go into false doctrine, any church today in America can go into false doctrine when we are not following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The churches of Galatia, they were were full of people who had been saved. The only way that you can be saved, by grace through faith. But they've now turned back in that very fundamental belief of the Word of God, and they've gone back to what they used to believe. Think about it. They heard the truth, just like you and I. They believed the truth. They walked in truth. But now they've turned and they've become unfaithful to truth. But unfaithfulness isn't something that affects just people in Galatia. I've seen people in the ministry saved from cults, and yet they turn back. I've seen people saved at an older age, and you think, man, they've got the rest of their life, what is left of it, to live for God, but they wind up turning back. I've seen people raised in Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches just like this turn back. I've seen people saved in the zeal of their teens and 20s, only to turn back. Why? Because no one is exempt from the danger of becoming unfaithful to that which we once said that we believed. In my time, in my lifetime, I've seen people, and I can think of a few that come to mind, I've seen people get saved in their early adult years and be great witnesses for Christ. 
And some of them had a voice. One I'm thinking in particular had a wonderful voice and he was used of God to, to sing specials in church and moved of, God in a great, by, moved of God in a great way. And he would even get emotional as he sang. And the, the Holy Spirit of God used him in, in great ways for several years. He would preach in church. He would preach in the prisons. He was a great encouragement. And his testimony was a, was a challenge to everyone that heard it. But only to see people like that leave everything behind that they believed. And it's interesting, many times they leave it so hard and so fast, you would have never known their life was another way. You would have never known that they were a Christian or that they, that they did sing or that they did preach or that they were an encouragement to the believers. Their lives are totally unrecognizable. That ought to be a sobering reminder again to us tonight that not one of us is above that kind of temptation. And sometimes people look to preachers or they look to people who seem to be perceived as leaders in the church instead of looking to the Lord. And what happens when that preacher falls or that person who seems to be a leader in the church falls? They have their eyes on man. They have their eyes on that preacher. And as soon as that person gets away from God, they automatically turn back from what they said they believe and they are crushed and they stop living for God. I want to challenge you tonight. If you started serving God for man, you're probably going to quit serving God for man. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your focus on the Holy Spirit. Keep your motives biblical. If you've received the glorious gift of free salvation, you and I have been called to a life of sanctification to be used in service for God. Don't turn back from that. Don't shy from that. Let's look at the text tonight. In verse number 6 and 7, we'll focus on, I want you to see, first of all, the amazement of unfaithfulness. The amazement of unfaithfulness. What does Paul say those very first two words? Say with me tonight, I marvel. That word marvel literally means dumbfounded. Paul was astounded. He was taken aback. He was amazed. However you want to say it, he says, I, I marvel by the move of these from faithfulness to unfaithfulness. If you've been in church any length of time, you've seen people do things in their move from faithfulness to unfaithfulness that, like Paul says, it's simply shocking. Sometimes all you can do, and it, and it hurts so bad when you see people, maybe that you've worked with and maybe that you've led to the Lord, maybe it's a family member that you love dearly and you love deeply, and you see this change and you see this turn to false doctrine in their life, and like Paul, all you can do is marvel. Your, your, your head literally just kind of spins at how fast the devil can get into someone's life and tempt them to turn back. Tonight, frankly, you might be sitting here tonight almost snoozing, thinking, well, this could never happen to me or my family. But it can happen to where you're sitting in church one week, maybe two weeks, a month, and you've turned back in your service and you've turned back from what you once said that you believed. It's astounding how fast the devil makes maybe somebody offended at, what a, at a misspoken word. It's amazing how fast sometimes the devil makes a church member offended, maybe at an action done in haste, and they say, well, I don't understand that. I don't know why that took place, and I don't know why he said that, or I don't know that was done. And we take offense, and we allow a root of bitterness, and the Bible says in Hebrews, springing up whereby many be defiled. Our turning back doesn't just affect us. These people at Galatia, they'd done so well in the beginning. They'd been saved. They'd been baptized. They'd followed the Lord in service, but they turned back when no one would expect it. The Apostle Paul said, I marvel. We see the amazement of unfaithfulness. Look at the timing of unfaithfulness. He says, I marvel that ye are, what's the next two words? 
so soon. Paul was astounded by their faithfulness turned unfaithfulness, but notice now he's also amazed by the timing of how fast it happened. That added to his amazement. And as we look at the Bible where it says so soon, it's not talking about so soon as in a short amount of time, maybe from their salvation and it was a week later they turned on faithfulness. Those words so soon, they don't talk about a span of time, but they talk about how rapidly once the ball started rolling into unfaithfulness and into false doctrine, so soon refers to how rapidly it all took place. And you know as well as I do, when any Christian turns back from what they once believed, it's downhill and it's always fast. Why? Because once we allow room for the devil to have his foot in our lives and tempting us maybe in the area of false doctrine, it's a digression. And all the danger is this tonight, you might keep doing the same things you've always done, but your heart is gone. And a heart can be turned away from God in just a moment. You might even be sitting here tonight comforted by the fact you are on a Wednesday night where a Christian is supposed to be. But the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart tonight that although your body is where it should be, your heart is not. And Paul says you were so soon removed. You turned back so fast. It's amazing that many people turn back so soon after salvation. Well, it's exciting to see someone saved and their life changed, but Sadly, it's not long before some, just after they're saved, turn back from what God saved them from. They go back to the old friends. They go back to the old places. The, they go back to the old language and the old philosophy of life. And Paul is saying here, you're, you, you're, you're so soon removed. Well, tonight if God saved us, he didn't save us to rescue us from hell so that we could still live like we're going there. He saved us to make us be different. He saved us to be a peculiar people, zealous of good works. But the problem is this, it's not long after we are saved that we figure out that we can still act like a Christian on the outside, yet not be totally dedicated on the inside. We, we, we learn real quick how American Christianity operates. That if I look good, that I come to Sunday school on Sunday morning and church and Sunday night by uh, church and Wednesday night Bible study and I carry a Bible under my arm, it really doesn't matter what is on the inside as long as my outside looks okay. And we begin to believe that, we begin to use that as our philosophy of life, and before you know it, we are so soon removed from that which we once said we believed and how, how rapidly it happens. It's amazing people that turn back so soon after salvation. Hey, some turn back after they made a decision for the Lord. God speaks to our heart about something and we go to the altar and we get it settled. And how many times have we gone to an old-fashioned altar and we're not three steps back to our seat where we've already turned back and the devil's already got us talked out of what we said that we laid on the altar and gave back to God. Some turn back after a change of life. What happens? Kids walk away from the Lord and parents many times follow. Young people get married and they turn back from serving the Lord because they failed to check before they married that person that that person was on the same page with them for the Lord. People have children, that child takes a priority. People retire and turn back from their service to God. And Paul said it because he saw it there, and we can still say it today, and it happens rapidly. You and I can go from a full heart service to God to going through the motions in literally moments' time. Look with me, number three, we see in verse number six again. I want you to see the ingratitude of unfaithfulness. The ingratitude. He says, I marvel 
that ye are so soon removed from him that called you, notice this phrase, into the grace of Christ. This is one of the saddest things about when someone turns back in their belief and they go into false doctrine, they preach another gospel, and that is this, it's a dismissing of the grace of God in your life. We know and we define, even when we are soul winning, we define the grace of God as what? As unmerited favor. It is something that God bestowed upon us that we did not deserve, that we cannot pay back. It is something that God has graciously given to us. But when we are unfaithful, when we've turned back, it relates the understanding that we have dismissed the grace of God in our lives. We've essentially said thanks, but no thanks. When God's grace was shed on us, when he saved us, God did that permanently. He did it freely. Oh, praise God tonight. God did not save us and put us on probation to see how we're going to do. In our language tonight, we would say he was all in. All that God required of us for salvation was met by Christ on the cross. He bore our agony. He suffered in agony. He bore our sin and shame. He was forsaken by God the Father. His grace was freely given. And we get saved and we serve God a little bit until difficult times come. We get saved and we serve God until something else comes along that gets our attention that that maybe doesn't require so much sacrifice and and, and so much dedication. I think sometimes that salvation doesn't cost us anything. Many people have no problem walking away from service to God after he saves us. And I believe that we see in the Word of God that is the greatest ingratitude, realizing that we are so soon removed, as God's Word says here in verse number 6, from him that called you, into the grace of Christ. What happens when you've removed yourself from him that called you into the grace of Christ? We, of course, know tonight that it's not a loss of salvation, but it's a loss of service. It's a loss of closeness to him. You've turned back. God meant it to be permanent. Look at me quickly. We see, number four, the destination of unfaithfulness. Paul said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ, he says there, unto another gospel. Now, the Apostle Paul is using a play on words because he makes it clear in verse number 7 that there really isn't another gospel. Look at what he says. The end of verse number 6, called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Verse number 7, which is not another. I'm glad tonight that I'm saved the same way that Noah was saved, that Adam was saved, that David was saved, that Solomon was saved, that Mary was saved, that John was saved, that Paul was saved. There is no other gospel. There is no other way to be saved. I don't care if you're in Old Testament time or New Testament time. We are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in Him. But do you realize tonight that a message of salvation by works as these false teachers had been allowed to come in and preach and teach and draw some from faithfulness to unfaithfulness, do you realize tonight that a message of salvation by works is not even good news to sinners? You say, why is it not good news? It's not good news because a work salvation is a message of condemnation. Why? Because if you believe in a work salvation, you better be 100% perfect. You and I can't do that, so there's no hope in it. It's a, it's, it's a message of condemnation. It's like telling a man who's drowning, he can be saved if you'll just swim. And he cries out, I can't, or else I would have already done it. Salvation is not of works. There is no joy in a work salvation. 
That's why you don't hear many churches singing joyful songs like believers sing, like redeemed how I love to proclaim it. You don't find a works-based salvation church that preaches that singing saved by the blood of the crucified one or I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. Why? Because no church or any person who believes you have to good, be, live a good life in order to be saved has, and has a no-so salvation has any joy in that. That's why many times they come to church with long faces and depressed and down and out. And what a sad commentary on God's people when we do the same. Almost acting as if our salvation isn't secure. Almost acting if our salvation isn't settled. Almost acting if our sins have not been paid for and covered by the, by the blood of Christ. It ought to produce joy in our lives. But it's a joy that the devil wants to rob you of. It's a joy that many people, even the Galatians, turned back from. You see, they believed the lies of the false teachers that said you have to, and this is what it comes down to. They believed the lies of the false teachers that said you have to work to be acceptable to God. Now, in their instance, of course, it was the Jewish laws, it was circumcision, all those things. But again, it comes down to the crux of the matter that they said you have to be work to be acceptable to God and that God's grace is not free. And Christians and Bible-believing churches today, listen, they have been robbed of the same joy because they have lost sight of the fact that when you are saved, you are accepted and I'm accepted by God on the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And that is all the reason that you need to rejoice. Look in verse number seven. We see the perpetrators of unfaithfulness. He says, which is not another, but there be... He says, some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Notice he says, there be some that trouble you. There were people that I think Paul knew of, and I think they could point out that were the cause of their trouble and their turning back. They were people, they were real people in their lives that had influence over them in some way, and obviously their goal as they inter, introduced and inserted themselves into, this, into these churches in Galatia, their desire and their goal was to draw them away and was to hinder their, their walk with God. I believe there needs to be a time in every child of God's life where you realize that people who do not love the Lord are not going to encourage you to serve the Lord. There's going to be a time in everybody's life where you make that decision and say, I just cannot be around these types of people or this person or this group of people because they are not encouraging me to walk with the Lord. They are these types of some that draw people away. I don't know who those people are for you tonight that influence you. And sadly, sometimes in many of our Bible-believing Baptist churches today, you two preachers have more of an influence over God's people in that church than their own pastor has. There ought to be no greater influence in your life as far as a man of God than our pastor that we have tonight. But so many people are turning to a YouTube preacher, they're turning to a radio preacher, and they're getting all of their messages, they're getting all their information from what someone who never knows them, who never prays for them, who never sees them in the hospital, has to say about the Word of God instead of their pastor. There were some that troubled the Galatian believers. They were known to them. They weren't strangers. Paul said there were some that influence these believers. And notice he says in verse number seven, they perverted the gospel of Christ. Now with the short amount of time that we have left, let me, let me apply it this way and let me, let me bring it home to us. You know as well as I do, even after we're saved, we can go back to preaching another message. 
You say, what, what does that mean? Because I don't, you would say, Brother Atwood, I don't, I don't have a pulpit. I don't have a church. I don't have an audience that I'm speaking to. How, how, do you, how do you say I can preach another message even after I get saved? It's by this. You and I, if we're not careful, we go back to emphasizing something else as important in life other than Christ. There are Christians' lives all over this world and even in this church that preach a gospel of humanism. They act as if the world revolves around them. They have no schedule but their schedule. And God is just, just not in the picture right now. I mean, they love God and everything. They love church, but they just they have their own agenda right now. And what is that? That's the gospel. That's the message of their life. There are some Christians' lives that preach a gospel of secularism. That's a life that is world-centered. They have God, but they also have their life outside of God. And hey, just the, the, the two don't mix. That's the, way, that's the way it is. I mean, this is the one who comes to church on Sundays but never opens their Bible Monday through Saturday. This is the one who seems to have the ear of God as they pray eloquent prayers, but they have a worldly philosophy that comes out of their mouth Monday through Saturday. They are preaching a message with their life. God tells us that we're to be a salt and light in this world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The world and the devil's crowd have such a great desire to sterilize this world from anything that has to do with God. And we've allowed it to take place by remaining silent and agreeing silently to keep church where it is and the world where it is. But if I remember right, Jesus told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What message tonight, what gospel does your life preach? This doesn't replace and it doesn't remove the responsibility to open our mouths and witness, but our life preaches something. When God saved us, He separated us, whether you're a preacher or not. He separated us for holy use. He sanctifies us. And the message that our life once preached was concerning maybe success and maybe pride and maybe money and popularity. But now when we're saved, the Word of God tells us we are to proclaim a message that brings glory to God. People might not ever know us by name or by even face, but they ought to still be able to give God glory because of the message that your life and my life preaches. And I want to challenge you, as we're about to close in prayer and have a moment of invitation, I want to encourage you and challenge you tonight to step out of your life for a moment. Look, look at yourself. Look at how you spend your, your time. Look, look at how you spend your money. Examine how you raise your children. Look at every aspect of it. And when you read your life, what would you have to honestly say is important? What message is being preached? Paul says in verse number 24 of chapter 1, and they glorified God in me. If our life has a priority of anything other than Jesus Christ in all areas, we are preaching another gospel, and God didn't save us for that. By God's grace tonight, let's determine to ask God for help and use this altar if we need to, to ask God to reveal to us, God, what are my priorities? God, have I, have I gotten out of balance here? Is this, is, this, is this out of place over here? And ask us to be faithful in all areas of our life and, and, and preach a message that brings people to Him and, and not one that confuses people. Because again, we might, not have a, we might not have a platform, we might not have a church, we might not even have the, have the inclination to insert ourselves in some area where we are teaching heresy and false doctrine. But many times another message, another gospel is preached in and through our life 
by the priorities that we, that we allow to take over. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.